Today we're going to look at a very familiar Christmas story, and uh, it's the one in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 16, about the Magi visiting Jesus. And one of the problems about familiar stories is we think we know it, so we don't really read it. We just, in our heads, we've got it playing somewhere, uh, or our version of it. And what is interesting about, well, many verses of the Bible, it's a bit like if you've seen those magic towels. Uh, they're very tiny, very dense and hard. You add water and they become a lot bigger. And in a sense, what we do when we look at the Bible is we try to add water uh, to the, the verses, the Holy Spirit, hopefully, um, and make the verses come bigger because there's incredibly big things that happen in half a verse and we have to see what's actually happening there. So we start uh, um, in... Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, I'll read it, and then we'll go back over it. And Jackie has the challenge of uh, going through the verses. When I, later on, uh, mention various verses, she'll be trying to keep up with me and find the right place. So, hopefully it'll work. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one that's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And he's quoting here from uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you, out of you, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may, may too go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity uh, who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. A very familiar story. Um, and it's interesting, it's, it's, about a, it's about a journey. And most of the journey you see just in the first verse. It says, the Magi from the east 
came to Jerusalem. One thing I love when I go on holiday, particularly if I'm driving somewhere or hiring a car from an airport, or, um, is working out how to get there, how to get to the destination, or how to find things when I get there. And I'm, I love maps. I'm a map person. <laughs> if I go somewhere, any excuse, I'll buy a new map. I've got in the house tons of maps that we never look at again because we're not going back to that particular place. But always buy a new map. Linda and I have booked a holiday in Krakow, I think it's called, or Krakow in Poland, coming up uh, in April for a few days. And I've got a map already. <laughs> a map of the city. Um, and as well as loving maps, uh, now with the internet, it moves it to a different level. I love Google Maps. <laughs> and the wonderful street view. It's just great. You can drag and drop that little yellow man onto a street, and you can see the houses, you can see the shops, you can see the hotels or whatever it is. Um, and you can, if you're going to drive somewhere, you can see the difficult junctions, uh, where the turns are, and I just love that. The Street View Man is called Peg Man, by the way. And me and Peg Man, we're just old friends. <laughs> now, personally, although I know many people love it, I don't personally get on with sat-nav. Um, I always like to work out the route myself, um, and uh, um, that's just the way I am. But many people love sat-nav, and it's a, it's a great device. Linda sometimes says, what's the point of you going on holiday since you've all, always been there before online? Anyway. <laughs> Matthew chapter 2 is a story of a long journey. A journey into the unknown. The Magi saw the star. They understood its significance. They got excited and the adventure began. But they couldn't just fly to Jerusalem, which we might today, or drive along the motorway. Maps would have been sketchy and probably inaccurate if indeed they existed at all. There was no internet, no sat-nav, although clearly there was a bit of star-nav. <laughs> Ancient trade routes existed, but the Magi were a group of obviously well-off people, and they probably ran the risk of being meeting robbers, so the chances are they'd wait to go with a large group of merchants who were going along the route, safety in numbers. Camels laden with baggage were slow, and the journey might have taken months with delays or bad weather or camel repair or whatever. <laughs> the story in Matthew 2 is so familiar and yet surrounded with so many traditions. We need to read it carefully and see what's there and what isn't there. So who were the Magi from the East? Well, first off, that's what, that's what the Bible says. They were Magi, and they were from the East, full stop. Western tradition says there were three of them, based on the fact that they came with three gifts to Jesus. The Eastern Orthodox Church tradition says there were 12 of them. So you pay your money and you take your pick. But there were clearly more than one, but it doesn't say how many. Now, no self-respecting nativity play would be complete without three kings walking on in colorful clothing um, and cardboard uh, crowns. 
and they might even have the names Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior run the Knicks. But yet there's no evidence that they were, they were kings at all or that their names were known. It's a church tradition that actually started quite a bit after. <coughs> in, the, in the Bible, uh, which was uh, the New Testament, was written in Greek, um, the Magi are written as Magoi, and this is a sort of um, equivalent of the Roman Magi. And the Magi um, were probably, it's pro wise men is probably a better idea of who the Magi were. And of course, this sort of ruins one of my favorite carols from when I was young, We Three Kings of Orient Are. <laughs> so um, we'd have to change it, I'm afraid. Um, we unknown number of Magi from Orient Are. It doesn't really sound the same. And the, um, the Magi was referring to wise men, learned men, and it implied very specifically a knowledge of astronomy and astrology. In the old days, they went together. In other words, people looked at the sky, saw various things happening, and interpreted that as some things were going to happen in the future. And also, interpretation of dreams was another big thing that the Magi were into. And in fact, the word Magi comes from the same root as the word magic. In other words, they were people that knew things. Um, and the Jewish religious leaders would probably have considered them pagans. Um, they were obviously important men in their own co country because when Herod met with them, he, uh, he, he met with them personally. And for a king, you wouldn't meet with people personally. You'd send your minions unless they were important people. And also, they clearly were not short of money as evidenced by the expensive gifts. Matthew says they came from the east, but that's rather general. We don't know where they're from, but if we look in the Bible, we see the connections that Jewish people had with uh, the east. Um, in about, um, the, well, the kingdom of Israel, way back after King David, was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, where 10 of the tribes of Israel lived, and the southern kingdom of Judah, where two of them lived. That was Judah, uh, Ju uh, Judah and Benjamin. And about 750 BC, and we can find this in 2 Kings chapter 15 or 2 Kings 17, um, the Assyrians came and overran the northern kingdom. And um, they took them into captivity in, uh, in Assyria, in places like Nineveh and other ci cities. And Assyria was the northern part of uh, Iraq and a little bit into Turkey. And the kings that did this had some wonderful names. There was King Tiglath Pileser, there's a name. Um, and the last one that, that did it was Sennacherib. And it seems to be that uh, they went in waves. They, they took people from uh, uh, the northern kingdom to Assyria um, in waves. And then, of course, we know a lot more about uh, the, next, uh, the next time it happened. The, the southern kingdom of Judah um, were taken into captivity uh, by the Babylonians. Excuse me. And if we look in the, if we look in the book of Daniel, we see uh, specifically Daniel, who was um, from Judah, was taken into exile uh, by the Babylonians under King um, Nebuchadnezzar. And 
he was a wise man. He was considered, he was actually given the role of head of the Magi, if you like. And he had God-given wisdom and the gift of interpreting dreams. And if you look in Daniel, you'll see how he did that and how effective he was. And in those days, any king wanted uh, a wise man because they wanted to know what was happening. They had plenty of spies to tell them what was happening now, but they wanted to know what was happening in the future. And uh, um, it's the same today. We've just had elections, and um, uh, the, the major parties all have their, their spin doctors and their analysts who try to work out what is going to happen tomorrow when the election happens, looking at the polls, trying to analyze things. It's really a modern version of this. So how did the Magi know about the Messiah? Well, we know that there was a dispersion of Jews um, into uh, out east. And the chances are they had with them parts of the Bible, and they could have heard about the Messiah through knowledge of the Old Testament. And captive Jews would have uh, brought bits of uh, the Old Testament with them, because, of course, in those days, each book was a separate scroll. And in the Old Testament, for instance, back in Numbers 24, there's the prophecy, prophecy of Balaam who said, referring to the Messiah, there, there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And the Magi may have seen this, so that when they saw the star rising and they believed that to be the birth of a king, they connected that with the Messiah. They knew the Messiah story, at least. They were familiar with uh, dreams as well, because when God spoke to them in a dream later, they knew what that was about. Uh, when he warned them to go back a different way and not go back to Herod. The journey they set on was a risky enterprise, but they were determined to meet with this Messiah. It was a step of faith. So when did this happen? Well, although Jesus and his parents were still in Bethlehem, Jesus was described as a child and not a baby. And so it's at least several months after Jesus was born. Um, and of course, um, it also in verse 10, it says they were in a house. So um, they weren't really, um, so if you look outside on the, the table, uh, as we come in, you will see um, the nativity, you will see the stable, and you will see the three wise men muscling in. Um, but really, it was uh, months later, Jesus might have been uh, several months or a year old. And in fact, we see this because later, you know, a horrible event, Herod sent soldiers to kill the babies in, in Bethlehem up to two years old, so he was probably just ensuring that the young, young child was, uh, was, was taken when that happened. So why did the wise men visit Jerusalem? They started off their journey. They went for um, miles and miles and miles. It's about 1,600 miles, I think, from uh, Babylon to uh, Jerusalem. Um, and uh, it would have taken months for them to travel. Well, they visited Jerusalem because they didn't know exactly where to go. And they made the assumption, let's go to the capital. Someone must know about this event, this great event of the Messiah being born. And so they started going around Jerusalem asking people, have you seen the Messiah? Have you heard about this Messiah? And of course, King Herod had his spies around the place and he heard what they were doing. And it says that he was appalled. He was disturbed um, and all of Jerusalem with him. Of course, Jerusalem was really under the thrall of the Romans um, and 
many Jews believed that a Messiah was about to come and set them free from Roman authority. So you can just imagine how the unrest would start in the city. And one of Herod's big jobs was to keep things quiet. So he would have been disturbed from that point of view. And then, of course, he would have been personally disturbed because he was the king, and why was someone talking about another king being born? There's a lot of historic evidence about this King Herod. Uh, he was King Herod I, and he was, in fact, the father of another Herod, his son, who was the one we know about more, perhaps, because he had John the Baptist killed, and uh, he was the one that Jesus was sent to by Pontius Pilate. His job was to be a king, but really it was to be a, a person in charge of the area, um, and his job was to send a steady supply of taxes and food and raw materials to the Romans, and also the important part of the job was to keep the place quiet, to, to stamp down on any unrest. Um, and he was getting on by then, in, a, in years, and he was paranoid about people taking his throne. History tells us that by this time, he'd already killed his second wife and a mother, plus his own uncle and three of his own sons who he thought were trying to overthrow him. So news that a king of the Jews had been born was like a red rag to a bull. It seems to be a direct threat to his leadership. So he went to the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, and said, well, where is this Messiah going to be born? And they told him about the prophecy uh, in Micah that named Bethlehem. Now, interestingly, Bethlehem was only six miles from Jerusalem, just six miles. Now, even in those days where travel was slow, that wasn't a long way off. But Herod's master plan was to meet with the Magi secretly and send them to go and find where Jesus was. And he said to them, I can go and worship him too. I write. Sounds like a sto writing, likely story, doesn't it? Anyway, Herod could have gone straight there with his soldiers, but he probably thought, well, Jesus could be hidden, so I'll send someone to go and find them, and then I'll finish him off. And it's also interesting that the Jewish religious leaders, they were the, the godly men, if you like, of the age, or supposed to be, and they were the ones that Herod went to to find out about where Jesus would be born. And they knew. They knew their scriptures. And they said, it's Bethlehem. But the interesting thing was they made no effort to go and meet with him, no effort to go and see him. And, you know, it's, it's a good thing to know scripture. But if we know scripture and we don't do anything about it, then it's less... It, it, it's more of a waste of time because the reason that God reveals to, stuff to us in scriptures is for us to do something about it. So uh, this is where the star comes back in the story, back to the star nav. Having appeared to the Magi months before to herald the birth of Jesus, it now reappears to lead the Magi to the very house in Bethlehem where Jesus was living with his parents. Um, and uh, what was the reaction of the Magi? It says their reaction was joy when they saw the star. In fact, it says they went into overjoy. And their long quest was back on track. They went into the house where the star stopped. And it says they met with the child and with Mary. 
and they bowed down and they worshipped. These men who may have come from a pagan background had miles and miles away seen this star, found out its significance, and it was their ambition, their, their quest to meet with this Messiah. And they found the Messiah, the God-appointed king, and they worshipped him. On Friday church today, Chantel mentioned the old English word that worship is derived from. And very wisely, she didn't uh, say it, she spelled it, because it's uh, uh, very difficult to say, to, to actually, uh, not many people read old English. And it was, it's spelled W-E-O-R-T-H-S-C-I-P-E. How you pronounce it, goodness only knows. But you can see it's a contraction of two bits of the word, worth and ship. And it shows that worship is actually worthship. In other words, when we worship, we're saying, this is what we think you're worth, God. And we express uh, our worship because we think he is worth it. And part of worship, of course, and we've done it this morning, is to sing and to show deep appreciation in words. But that's not all worship is, because the Magi also worship God by taking that incredibly long journey to see him. They worship God by bringing him gifts, bringing the, the baby Jesus gifts or the, the child Jesus. They did practical things to show how much they thought he was worth. And what we say about God should be matched by what we do. Romans 12.1 says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And very often we think of being in church as the spiritual things, and the practical things outside of church, well, they're just jobs or practical things. But in God's eyes, they're the same. They're just as spiritual. Our worship is not just what we say, but it's what we do. The Magi worshipped God uh, through that long trek and by giving the gifts, as well as bowing down and showing reverence. And they brought three gifts. And we all know the gifts. We can quote them off by heart. Gold, which represents Jesus' kingship. Way back in 1 Kings 10, the Queen of Sheba visited Solomon, who was a great king. And to sh uh, show her appreciation of such a great king, she brought huge numbers of bits, of, amounts of gold. Frankincense was used in ceremonial worship and showed Jesus' divinity. And myrrh, which was a perfumed oil and also used to... Uh, prepare a dead body before burial, represents Jesus' humanity, humanity. And the aftermath. Well, we know this very well. God sent the Magi a dream, a dream to avoid Herod and go home by a different route, which they did. And this is the last we hear of them. Except you can be sure that after an encounter with the Messiah, they were changed forever. And... Uh, <coughs> This morning was mentioned the fact that the shepherds were called to visit the baby Jesus, the Jewish shepherds. And this was the later visit um, of the foreign magi. 
and it demonstrated that the method, the message, sorry, of the gospel was not just for Jews, but also for the whole world. So, Joseph then was also warned in a dream in verses 13 to 15 of Herod's plan, and he was told, get up and go now. And you can imagine the turmoil. In the middle of the night, he'd had this dream. He got up and said, Mary, we've got to go. Throwing things that they needed into a bag, throwing the gifts into the bag, uh, throwing maybe baby Jesus into the bag, who knows, um, and um, getting on the donkey, revving up the donkey, and out in the middle of the night. And they had to do this. And going in the middle of the night was a smart move because it meant the neighbors wouldn't know they'd gone or which direction they'd gone, and uh, they could get away. And just to finish in the story, uh, um, it says that um, a few days later, Herod began to realize that the Magi had double-crossed him, that they'd twigged that something was wrong. And he was absolutely incandescent with rage. And in a terrible part of the story, he sent soldiers to king all the king kill all the children in Bethlehem who were two years old and below. And you sort of skim over that verse because you can't even imagine how dreadful that would have been for the people um, in, that, in that small town. Uh, today, Herod might be called to stand trial at the International Criminal Court in The Hague for crimes against humanity. Now, he didn't live that much longer. He died a painful death only a short few years later, and that meant that uh, uh, Joseph and Mary uh, could, could come back. And the interesting thing is that we heard from Johnny Farrell just a couple of weeks ago about how important Joseph was in the life of, Je of the early life of Jesus. And this is another example where he obeyed God and did what God said in the dream immediately. And just to finish up, the, uh, the church celebrates uh, the time when the Magi uh, came and visited Jesus in the Feast of Epiphany, which is the 6th of January every year. And Epiphany means manifestation. And we use that phrase, we say someone has an epiphany whenever they have a moment of revelation, a light, bulb mo a light bulb moment when a breakthrough in understanding is made. And the Magi had this moment when they met Jesus. And so at Christmas time, aside from the turkey, the tinsel, the toys, and the tradition, all of which are great fun and a great focus on the family, let us not lose sight of what should be the very center of our celebration, the birth of Jesus, our savior, the start of God's salvation mission. Jesus, who although he was the very person of God, became human like us, lived a blameless life in the power of God's spirit and finally died on the cross so that through faith in him, we might live. He was indeed the pioneer and perfecter of our faith who showed us how we could live in God's strength and power. So God wants us to experience our own epiphany, our own revelation, our own light bulb moment in our lives. Are we following the star to find Jesus and seek after him? We've just finished our series, the Apprentice series on Sunday mornings, and we've heard that we are called to be faithful apprentices to the master, Jesus Christ, as part of our true and proper worship. Let us make room for him this Christmas. Thank you.